We find people that basically can't make enough uh, to, to, to eat before they go into the fields. I don't believe that. I think that you're looking at other places that are not Central Romana. People actually who focus on and go like getting an orgasm never get one. Pull up your socks and figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> Any chance will ever get to be a completely red Oh, yeah. And for the future, it's always uncertain. Whatever but more uncertain now. Uh, listen, Blue Ivy is six years old. Beyonce's baby. She tried to outbid me on a painting. Everybody in Atlanta right now at the Louis Vuitton store, if you black, don't go to Louis Vuitton today. In five. That's why four, you need to take three, a meeting with Kanye two. West, Bernard Arnault. Hello, and welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. My name is Yogi Polywall, and joining me are my fellow hedonistic hosts. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries, Sean P. McCarthy, and today we are going to be looking at a almost billionaire, pseudo billionaire, depending on the net worth of the company, who was a domestic product imported across the pond to monetize convenience and make a fat profit from the exploitation of his workers. What else is new? Uh, we're going to be covering the founder of Deliveroo, Will Shu, who brought food delivery exploitation to a worldwide market with the expressed idea that he wants people to never make food at home. The idea that all people must be dependent on others to exist is the ultimate goal, if you ask me. Uh, you need someone else to eat, sleep, shit, hell, at some point, breathe. The goal yeah, that's the great reset. Mm -hmm. The goal <laughs> is to be an invisible mother to a global population. Uh, it's easy to say Will Shu is just a fat ass from Connecticut who wanted to be a fat ass in the UK, but the end goal, I think, is much more sinister. The Connecticut dream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Steven, you have some comments on the company as it is right now? Yeah, so at one time, Shu was a billionaire, but that sadly has passed for him. Mm -hmm. So uh, the company recently IPO'd. He lost and it all on Dogecoin. <laughs> <laughs> Spent it all on Dogecoin. Uh well, they targeted a valuation for the IPO of $10 billion for the company, which would have put Shu somewhere in the neighborhood of like $1.1 to $1.3 billion. Right. Um, day one happens, IPO happens, 24% drop in the stock price. Ooh. He's no longer a billionaire. That's that Marshawn Lynch drop. He's worth more like about 600 to $650 million right now. Still a pretty penny. But uh, we're not... We're not choosy when we cover billionaires here. So um, he probably, in all likelihood, in the next five years, he probably will be regained the status. Yeah, most likely. I, I, Although people in the United States might not know of Deliveroo, it seems to be the one of the three to four choice options in the UK and a few other European and Middle East markets. Mm. We're actually going to record this episode and put it in a time capsule and then release it when he becomes a billionaire again. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna set it into space on that fucking carl sagan thing that's right yeah well we have like a dead man switch mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. it's tied it's tied to his <laughs> net worth so once he becomes a billionaire it automatically drops including yeah. all the scandals that we're going to get into i love the idea of us like starting an episode like researching a billionaire and being like guys this is really dark <laughs> we should release this as a dead man switch <laughs> like we just can't put this out while we're alive mm-hmm yeah, I like to think we've recorded all of the episodes, but we just released them right. as they become billionaires, as the dead switches. And occur. that's that's like our threat to the CIA and everyone mm -hmm. is like, well, look, with the real dirt is behind the dead man switch. <laughs> like we're just giving them the limited hangout. As long as you don't kill us, right, like right. that's when the real shit will drop. Mm -hmm. yeah. Watch for a new Patreon tier. <laughs> <Coming soon. laughs> dead man switch too. It's like you have 
<laughs> you get it first, and then the rest does the rest of the world. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. I did have one comment. Mm-hmm. You know, this is one of the first like UK billionaires, or one of the, or we haven't done that many UK billionaires, basically. Yeah, but uh, you know, we're we're kind of switching it up. We're leaving the United States, and uh, just the company itself, Deliveroo. Uh, could British people just name things normally? <laughs> like every fucking company in Britain sounds like it was named by a seven-year-old. Well, this guy is an American technically, so I don't think we can really blame <laughs> but, the UK market on this. I mean, that's no. that's just what startups sound like. Yeah, like right. if I'm if I'm trying to like apply for a job and um, with coding, like I'll often read the job descriptions where they're like. Uh, well, we're looking for proficiency in Zatbonk and then uh, uh, familiarity at least with uh, PewterPow and um, Ruby on Rails and Ruby on Rails. And then there's some things like if you like are in like, I don't know, let's say video production and then you're like, well, I used to edit for PewDiePie. Like that's almost like, oh, wow, he used to edit for PewDiePie. Like <laughs> I'm sure there are some things that just sound absolute bullshit, but at the same time are reputable to people. Look, in those if industries. they call it uh, Deliveroo, just on the way over here, I was thinking like, you know, they they probably if you go to the UK there's like a strip club there called Nippers. <laughs> this is what you're thinking about on your way over here. I was just like Deliveroo. <laughs> like okay, Uber Eats makes sense. Seamless oh, okay. makes yeah, sense. Sure. Yeah, the German Deliveroo name. Okay. is the laziest right. food delivery. Sean, like Uber doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, That's a exactly. car company. You're just used to it. Well, no, but you you think of the word what for is, something. What, when you thought of Uber pre the company, what what did you think that meant? Uh, yeah, like uh, a genocide in Eastern <laughs> Europe. <laughs> no, that like one, that one just, doesn't really make sense either. Let's well, be the, real. That one, I mean, it's not the same. It's not the same type of stupid as Deliveroo, right? But it's a different one. You can't just add "oo" to the word. Yeah, that's fair. fair. I will say that there. I do have three other names that they almost went with. We were going oil oo. <laughs> Gas station ooh. <laughs> uh, these were these were three names they kicked around that they decided to kick to the curve. First one is Food Pony. Mm-hmm. Second is Food Mule. Think, oh. seeing, seeing a common theme here. And then the third one is Booze Food. That is that is the. This is, I will say this about Will Shu. Uh, creativity not not his strong suit. Uh, let alone anything else. I will say it is good that they didn't go with Food Mule, considering their employees are actually shitting into bags. <laughs> yeah, more on that in a moment. Um, you know, before we do begin the episode, I was curious, what were some of your worst food delivery stories, do you think? Do you guys have any where you're like, oh my goodness, I fucking, yeah. no, that, I is thought, a, that is a disgusting amount of food that I put in my body that I'm I've a, gotten delivered to I'm me. a New York Times writer, so all of my worst food delivery stories have been posted to Twitter <laughs> about how I like screamed at an immigrant making $3 an hour. Well, they didn't know it was me. I don't know. I mean, sometimes it hasn't been delivered, but it was still hard to get mad because I'm like, I'm doing research for... <laughs> for for the Will Shoe episode. <laughs> well, my my question was more: What's the worst thing you've gotten delivered? And I would say for myself, when I first moved to New York, I lived like around the corner from a burger place that would do macaroni and cheese, mm. and I got their mac and cheese and fries delivered like five days in a row. I was fucking disgusting about it, and it cost me I think like forty bucks for per meal. But I'll tell you what, delicious to have macaroni and cheese delivered to you. Wow, mother's milk. That was fucking great. I mean, that is disgusting. Um, <laughs> I've never had anything that gross delivered. I order normal things. Um, sure. Like pizza. 
Yeah, pizza and mozzarella sticks a lot. Yeah, that's kind of the, the It is the unhealthiest vegetarian you'll ever meet. <laughs> it's just like pure garbage, but there's no meat in there. So that doesn't mean he's better than you, Sean. Yeah, well, no, it's yeah. not wrong. Still better. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay, what if what if Deliveroo, they set up like a, a prostitution like delivery service? Of course. Alcohol. And it's called Fanny to Go. <laughs> That, that would be good in the UK that market, I think. It would work. So moving along, to begin our bio on Will Shu, he was born on, in December 1979 in New Haven, Connecticut. Couldn't find a day, just the month for some reason. Uh, his parents are... Ty- CIA. <laughs> his parents are Taiwanese immigrants. And from the Diary of a CEO podcast, Will Shu says that his mom uh, is a scientist who worked at Yale and his dad was an actuary so these people were well-educated uh, professional individuals. Stephen, you were talking about what an actuary is earlier. You want to explain that again? Oh, it's just someone who does like statistical analyses to measure the risk for like insurance or banking products, something like that. Some of them find out when you're going to die. Really? Yep. Or just estimates for like life insurance. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, that should. All right. So that's that's what his dad did, and his mom was a scientist at Yale. No other information, just scientists. Um, His big break was he did the insurance policy on the World Trade Center. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he doesn't have a birthday. He worked on the Silverstein deal. That's right. Uh, In that same podcast, he claims that New Haven has the best pizza in the world, which is a blasphemous food statement. Uh. But then again, that is the type of trash that creates an industry of food delivery. You can't be making those kinds of statements if you're Taiwanese. That's just going to create racism. (laughs) But people in Connecticut are wildly... Uh, territorial about their pizza. Really? Yeah. I didn't know any of this. Oh, That's yeah. That's true. Yeah. Why? Why? How? How? I don't well, know. They all think that they have the best pizza in the world. It's because they go here so frequently. They come to New York. They, so yeah, they come to yeah. New York City and experience it. They don't live here. They need something to like sh- to have against us. I don't get it. I know. I mean, I understand that sentiment, but that's fucking dumb. Like, if I if I lived, I don't know. It just is stupid of me to think that like Connecticut's like you want pizza, come on down to New Haven. Like that to me makes no fucking sense. I mean, I think it's goofy, but I've heard it from enough different people that I'm like, oh, maybe I should try New Haven pizza. Were they all white? Yeah. Yeah, they're from Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, she, well, what? Not white. As as opposed to the 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 sultry Italians who Well, I <laughs> I, uh, the swarthy Italians who invented it. I don't admit this that often, but I don't trust white people's taste buds. I think that they're wrong, and I think that uh, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. This comes from several years of white people being like, oh, I love this food place. I'm going and being like, this is terrible. This is horseshit. Mm. Too fair. I should probably just have better white friends, but what are you going to do? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All I want to know is, like, how do you tell good pizza in Connecticut? Because here you just look for the Italian flag and the Blue Lives Matter flag. <laughs> Did I make that joke on the pod? I don't know. You did now. Did I make it in a conversation? Did I make it on a podcast? Who knows? Yeah, Sean's too big time to remember what he said where. Yeah. Well. Did, did I say that to the CIA agent that was interviewing me or did I say that on the podcast the other day? <laughs> yeah. Did I say that in my uh, grand jury testimony <laughs> against my fellow podcast hosts or did I? Oh, yeah. That was the deposition. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, so Will Shu would receive a bachelor's degree from Northwestern University, and then uh, he would get his, uh, he and later would get a, a degree from Wharton Business School. Uh, but before he would go to Wharton, he got his first job at Morgan Stanley in 2001 as an investment banking analyst. 
So every billionaire, for the most part, except when inherited wealth comes to play, has about a decade of just working. These banking jobs are when Shu has his come up, basically. Mm. And in New York, he worked for three years before then he would be transferred to the UK. So he was he got his first job at Morgan Stanley at 21. And then three years later, he's 24 years old working in the UK. So because at these jobs... According to Will Shu, he would have to work 100 hours a week and he would get food delivered when he was working in New York. And it's like one of those things where if he just had like an assistant that had to go get him food, we wouldn't really be fucking having a delivery conversation right now. The, 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 he's being overworked and in New York. And so he's like, I'll just get whatever the fuck I want. And when he was working at Morgan Stanley, there's a moment where the, he would get a $25 stipend a day for dinner. And this is a quote from that podcast with him talking about his experience getting dinner in New York. Up for work. Because in New York, you got $25 dinner allowance. You can order whatever you want. Actually, funny story. My first kind of day at work in 2001, I, I was pretty cheap, right? So I was like, $25, I can get, I, I can do whatever. So I, I actually ordered 25 Whoppers because Burger King had this <laughs> dollar Whopper special everyone's like, what are you doing? And by like day three, the, the sort of novelty wore off. I'm like, oh, I got to work hundred hours a week. It's not, you know, this isn't that much fun, but no. The so this is the type of guy we're talking about here. When he got a $25 a day food allowance, he decided to get 25 Whoppers on his first day. Well, that's insane. Who orders, who orders nearly 30 burgers for dinner? Doesn't it like immediately give you the neurovirus if you leave it out more than three hours? <laughs> <laughs> like you should immediately consume any products from Burger King is or that, McDonald's. Is that, is that not insane? I feel like the three of you gave me zero reactions to this. I, I'm trying. No, I'm just trying to think about to justify it. Basically, oh, I just assume he made it up. <laughs> yeah, he probably made it up. But if he didn't make it up, maybe it was for the office. I don't know. Yeah, like 25 Whoppers. Like what? You put them in the fridge. You microwave them. I like don't know. that sounds it's just, like it doesn't awful. make any fucking sense. Yeah. Like I've had, I've had, you know, I've been like hungry on a road trip, had two Whoppers with fried, like the whole meal. Ugh. But like, I've never, 25, I don't know if I could even do 10. I mean, I could if you put a gun to my head, but that's a different story. Were they beyond Whoppers? Were those your first Whoppers now that they're beyond? They were my first Whoppers now that they're beyond. But I had gotten a Whopper without the meat. So I knew what everything else had tasted like. Oh, weird. Yeah. When you're a vegetarian and you're fucking like, I got, I got to eat something. So you're like, just give it to me without the meat. You oh, just okay. get a lot of shit when I first started doing it. They'd be like, what? How, we cannot do that. I'm like, you know that part where you put the meat on it? Don't do that part. Like, All right. Like, there's nothing in the computer for that. What was weird is when, whenever that would happen, they'd always give me extra cheese. And, I, and in my mind, I'm like, this is the right move. <laughs> Imagining shoes training for Nathan's, the competition. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like, uh, instead of business school, I'm going to do this. It's, sad. it's funny to imagine like just this Asian guy in the Morgan Stanley office eating hot dog after hot dog. Mm -hmm. yeah. His $25 dinner allowance. What are you doing? It's just got trained, man. Got to be dipping, Kobayashi. Dipping Whoppers in water. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, great. yeah, if I can get my uh, lunch break down to like four minutes, I can... I can work more. But this is the this is the type of individual we're covering here. This is a very uh suburbs Connecticut driven guy. When he's given a little bit of money when he first gets a job, he goes, I'm gonna get twenty five whoppers for dinner. So like as far as I can tell, this is kind of our common billionaire scenario where what we know about his early life is just what he tells us. 
Like, there hasn't really been much investigative journalism here. Even the fact that his parents, uh, his mom was a scientist at Yale and his dad was an actuary, I only was able to get from the podcast, there's very little information online. Like, his mom was a scientist at Yale, his dad was an actuary, so he grew up, let's say, upper middle class? Easily. Easily, yeah. Yeah. Do you know if he went to public or private school? I got no other information about his schooling except his college, which is like, you know, we've seen this happen on the the episodes before. It's just they've scrubbed the internet of any and all information. I mean, Will Shu, if I were to find anything about him growing up, he's kind of like, uh, later on we're going to talk about uh, Greg uh, Orlovsky, the partner who would help him found. And he talks about in this podcast that him and Greg would go to the Yale Unix lab and mess around with computers because his mom worked there. So like, I don't know exactly what type of schooling or education they had, but Am I going to presume a motherfucker that grew up in Connecticut and claims Connecticut's got this great best pizza in the world as a rich kid? Yeah, sure. But then again, he does end up creating this company. What if his his delivery was so bad that it made the UK just racist enough to vote for Brexit? <laughs> and he's the one who broke up the European Union? I mean, you know, I can't confirm that, but I would argue that what he does makes race relations worse in the world. I That seems kind of a uh, very uh, wild sentiment, but as we cover this, you, you'll see why I feel that. No, I mean, yeah, having a, a, a slave cast who are mostly a different race, that doesn't impact race relations at all, Yogi. Oh, really? <laughs> Back when I was working in the office in Midtown, uh, mm-hmm. during lunchtime, there would just be a large group of, not delivery, but in our case, like Uber Eats and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And it would be all brown people mm-hmm. yeah. waiting for white men and some Asian women <laughs> to come down and get their food. Yeah, that is. Uh, and that's that's basically how, how it worked. Yeah. We'll talk about this more in the last third of the podcast. But uh, when you add convenience to any task, you're just adding slavery to the equation. There's no real other way to cut it up besides that. Well, that was the thing earlier when you were like asking about like our worst delivery experience. And I'm sure I could like think of one, but just like every time I've had a bad experience with delivery, well, I'm you like. You guys took it as like the worst as in like you being mad at someone. I yeah, meant yeah. more like the most yeah, yeah, yeah. disgusting thing you've ordered. Oh, most, but okay. yeah. yeah, I realized yeah, yeah. that after, McDonald's. but I think both, I think both questions are interesting. <laughs> sure. But I just kind of realized like, I'm sure I could think of something, but anytime I've ever had a bad delivery experience, I'm like, I deserve it for using this <laughs> <laughs> because this is extremely unethical. Yeah. Right. So from 2004 to 2006, he would work at Morgan Stanley. Uh, and then after that, he spent four years in a hedge fund. Not, not, uh, didn't describe which hedge fund he went to. 2006, huh? Is, uh, is there something about to happen in the financial world <laughs> that involves Morgan Stanley? I wonder what he was working on over there. Yes. So he is at Morgan Stanley right before that. And he goes to the Wharton Business School afterwards. And then in 2012, he would move back to London. And Stephen, I believe you have some more information about his time then. He got an MBA at, at uh, Wharton, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, he, yeah, he went to business mm-hmm. school. And uh, immediately after that, he joins the summer analyst program at SAC Capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's working in the equities research division, so like stock market and stuff. Right. And this actually happens at the same time. That um, and I'm not saying it was him, but someone in his department was working with none other than Jeffrey Epstein mm. at SAC Capital. Yeah, I didn't even know they had an Epstein connection. Oh yeah, because yeah. what I was gonna he say, he was a um, he had money being managed by 
SAZ Capital. Right. Huh. Well, what I was going to say is like, so we did an episode of the podcast you can listen to uh, about <laughs> Epstein's SEC Capital. He's like, slow down on the burgers, buddy. <laughs> I'm just like, it, the day that, the one day that Epstein shows up there, right? She didn't say shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, his head was buried in <laughs> the burgers. <laughs> maybe, maybe 25 Whoppers was code. <laughs> Like yeah, three cheese right. pizzas, twenty five whoppers. That's right. mm-hmm. yeah. They let well, like they let the high roller clients just visit yes. like the trading floor or whatever. <laughs> and shoes fucking nuts right now. Of with course, the, with the burgers, so he doesn't notice. Them. You know it. Hmm. But I wanted to uh, to remind the listeners who who might not know, SAC Capital was uh, Steve Cohen is a billionaire hedge fund that mm-hmm. uh, guy that was his, his hedge fund, and we did an episode about Stephen Cohen, uh, and basically he was accused of insider trading he would uh, him and his firm would plead guilty to a lesser charge but you know they did a frontline documentary about it uh they did a lot of that there was a book written about it um it's in my opinion extremely well documented that insider trading was endemic at his hedge fund and Mm -hmm. in fact he became the uh basis of the tv show billions which depicts a hedge fund where insider trading is endemic. Right. So I think it's like, you know, clearly if he was working there, he was caught up in that same kind of environment. Um, and one thing I did want to mention about Steve Cohen that I found amusing and I just saw on Twitter is some of the users might know that he has, since we did our episode, he's bought uh, a controlling or a, a large stake in the uh, the New York Mets, the mm-hmm. baseball That's team. Right. So he's the owner of the Mets and uh, somebody on Twitter, uh, uh, they booted up Microsoft Flight Simulator <laughs> And they geolocated his house and they flew a plane into it. And then they tweeted at him, this is for not signing Springer. (laughs) Honestly, the only house that it's ethically uh, acceptable to fly a plane into and Microsoft Flight Simulator is Grover House in Pennsylvania. (laughs) I did like, I was looking through this guy's Twitter and he just like geolocates different houses and flies planes into them. (laughs) I was like, this is... So much better cultural commentary than what we're doing. Uh, He's got a million people on Patreon. Send me that profile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so he, he started at SAC Capital with the Summer Analyst Program, and he continued in that role in the equities trading department um, from 2011 to 2012 or so. Right. Uh, at which time he was working on the beginnings of delivery. That's right. So the concept of Deliveroo, you know, Will Shoes Fat Ass thinks about this the moment he hits London because his... The concept of Deliveroo is like he's sitting there with Jeffrey Epstein like, man, I wish we could get some Whoppers to go right now. <laughs> you know, nothing nothing makes me hungry like my <laughs> massage. The idea, the idea comes from Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> you can't get a decent... Like- you can't get a decent meal delivered out here. Food app. I'm kind of hungry right now. <laughs> He's like talking to his par- PR person. They're like, yeah, so you can't say Jeffrey Epstein gave you the idea for Deliveroo. <laughs> You're going to have to make up some bullshit about Whoppers when you were working at Morgan Stanley. Allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, Jeff's yes. coming. We have to get some Whoppers for the meeting. <laughs> Extra ketchup. Um, they're gonna hire a hitman off Deliveroo to kill Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah, you know, you know, Italian underage women, some whoppers. Ugh. In in the delivery box of the writer is just like weapons. They <laughs> <laughs> rip off the the uniform, and it's like the hit. You're like the hitman. 
You know, sometimes I think we can do an episode that people will be like, yeah, that one's like a tame, light episode that yeah. they could send around. It just never happens on our show. We could never... We could ever produce a piece of content that doesn't end up having at least a five-minute riff on uh, children being raped mercilessly. Well, we were doing so good because we were like 20 minutes deep, and I had no idea there was an Epstein connection. Well, yeah, that's right. I was like, we we did it. We did a billionaire without an Epstein connection. But Can't nope, do it. Just when I thought I was out, <laughs> they pulled me back in. I'm I'm picturing a scene with the hit, like the hitman. You're poisoning someone. Music, <laughs> right? And it's it's all it's just a, a first person perspective of the <laughs> delivery guy mixing it into a soft drink, and then it, he gives it to Ghislaine. Right, of course. A slavery app forty seven. Very clever. <laughs> All right, so Will Shoot thinks of this idea the moment his fat ass reaches London, and his coworkers in the UK, when he asks, hey, what are we going to eat tonight? They just take him to Tesco, incidentally, and they just grab, like, microwavable burritos and shit because, you know, they're used to this concept of not utilizing slavery for their food, and uh, Will Shoot's like, fuck that noise. Yeah, I think the quote was, uh, brav, you got to try Tesco, isn't it? And, yeah, that's a direct quote. Um, and so, you know, he has this idea and pitches this to his... Uh, future co-founder Greg that hey I think a delivery app out here would be good but the concept of a app or a user interface that relies on a mobile tech doesn't really exist in 07 but in 2012 Apple releases the iPhone 5 and the App Store is launched and I want to make a quick aside here the App Store integration on iOS devices shouldn't be credited to Apple and their engineers because when the first iPhones came out Modders had unlocked, or at the time, jailbroke the phones and created amazing shit for the iPhone. And Apple panicked and went like, we will lose the phone war if we let modders take our fucking device and hot rod it, essentially. So let's create like a garage for them, which would become the App Store, and they'll allow them to develop in there, and then it leaves us to create the guts of what we're doing here. They also just stole that idea straight from Linux. That was something that existed in Linux for like years before that. Yeah, I'm not shocked. Can I say when Yogi said I want to take a digression to say Apple doesn't deserve the credit for the App Store, I was really hoping he would launch into a defense of Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just remember like when that happened, like because they, they were like incredible uh, people who had, you know, and obviously these people were probably Linux users who had, you know, bro Joe broken the iPhone and really f made it, you know, more incredible than it was at the time. And I within like a few years, Apple was like, we created an app store. It's like you motherfuckers, you just wanted to make money from what people could build on this thing. But it, in the end, I think it makes our technology worse vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis the, the, the Linux argument of, of what we're talking about here. So just for my understanding here, uh, Will Shue, he was at he was in London at Morgan Stanley for a bit, and then he was working for SAC Capital in London? Or Yes, because he, he moves back to the U.S. to go to the Wharton Business School, yeah. and then moves back to the U.K. and calls himself a Londoner without a British accent, which I find very funny. He's, he's at the Wharton Business School MBA program. He's like, oh, pile a bunch of mortgages that are shit into a derivative? <laughs> well, I already know this. This is an easy test. <laughs> Yeah, he, he self-describes his time at business school being two years of drinking and partying while doing homework. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You've made you made a boatload at Morgan Stanley or you made enough to live comfortably and you're just at business school in your mid to late twenties. Hmm. So wait, you don't you don't have to work hard to pass business school? <laughs> <laughs> no, Andy, you do not. So he t says that in two thousand seven, when he thought of the idea, he was like, I'd have to make like basically what an iPhone is to 
be able to communicate to the drivers and all that. Mm -hmm. Basically, within seven years, his idea of the slight future comes to fruition in an easier way. And this is when him and his childhood friend Greg would team up and launch uh, Deliveroo in January of 2013. Mm -hmm. So Greg Arlovsky would design the website and make it you know usable for customers. Uh, it wasn't mobile integrated. There was no app. It was just a website that like if you had on your phone, you'd have to zoom in, which was very common in those stages of smartphones. Mm. And Wool Shoe's job would be to get restaurants signed onto the service and then deal with riders and training them as well, as well as being a delivery driver for Deliveroo at this time. He claims that he worked there for eight months to a year every day. But honestly, I don't know. I, that, at this point, it's one of those things where all of Will Shoe's delivering for Deliveroo stories feel very, this is good for PR, so they won't ask me, how come my riders are getting paid slave wages to take care of something? Right. Like, And we'll talk about it. There was a strike where the, the strikers nicknamed the company Slaveroo. Uh, <laughs> so I, it, would, it would make sense to be like, oh, I'm the CEO and founder. I do the job, too. It's not slavery. Right. And yeah, even though masters did work with their slaves <laughs> <laughs> on occasion to say like sure. how, how benevolent they were. And, and it's one of those things where like if he screws up, it doesn't mean that he might be homeless. Right. Right. Precisely. This is something where if he messes up, then there's no repercussions for his actions outside the fact that he lost a sale. But he, you know, kind of owns the company. Yeah, I ordered the chicken penne and this idiot brought me 25 Whoppers. <laughs> I did want to ask, um, was did he ever give any reason why he started in London as opposed to like, I don't know, New York, California, all these fucking places? I mean, he was born in Connecticut. This is my take on the situation. In his time at Morgan Stanley and the hedge firm he worked at and SEC, he learns how genuinely competitive and how much money are in those markets already. Mm -hmm. The UK had a demand for this need. They didn't have mm -hmm. a good takeaway service that that was well manufactured. And this this diary of a CEO podcast uh, by this fucking douche that hosts it. That guy is like, once I found out about once I found out about Deliveroo, I just couldn't stop using it. I used it every day, mate. And it's one of those things where it's like that that is the ultimate type of guy that you need in those markets that you're describing, Sean, he would have been swallowed immediately. Mm. I mean, like, yeah. But the the U.S. markets, my understanding is the U.S. markets were just too too saturated. Correct. With Uber Eats and Seamless. And the United States is built for you can get food delivered. And also, we probably really loved panel shows. <laughs> um, and so, in the U.K., Greg is doing the interface, and Will Shu is taking care of the. Uh, face a house stuff at first he's just telling his friends to use the service and like he's like hey guys you guys want your food delivered please please check out this thing i'm doing and he even says that i know my friends order just to see me deliver the food like you gotta realize these are like upper middle class fucking bankers slash investment analysts and so he's like please please use my delivery service and like okay sure will and uh he has a lot of embarrassing stories in this time where he like at one point would wear a kangaroo outfit and hand out like handbills and flyers and stuff. And he says that like these two girls, not like young, but like in their 20s mm. would pick up the tail and like like tease him basically like pull it and like tease him and then everyone around him started to do it like when he says it, he's like so that was probably one of the worst days i had and it's like you're just being bullied <laughs> like you're just straight up uh being abused for the position that you don't want to be in which is 
not surprising that he tolerates abuse of his employees, technically contract employees now. It is interesting because like, you know, doing that to somebody who like appears somewhere out there as like a service worker is a really shitty thing to do. But ultimately, those girls were correct to bully this man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What he learned, though, from convincing his friends to use the service was that they would use it again afterwards. So even if the first time they did it, like, all right, sure, fuck it. Afterwards, they're like, no, this is I mean it's not really hard to figure out why people want food delivered to them. Like right. the thing is, is that like as much as people in interviews with Will Shu were like the visionary Will Shu figured out people want to sit their fat asses at home and have food delivered to it. It's not, it's, a, it's pretty not hard a, to convince people that right. this is a revolutionary idea. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and like he, he kind of stopped trying to convince people of that. Yeah. Will Shu went to a British football football game and was like, there's a market for food delivery here. <laughs> These people do not like to move and they like to eat. Riots really get the the, the munchies going. That's right. What if you could sit where you are and then food, press a button and food appears in front of you and there's no slave market supporting this system? <laughs> His first delivery, he says, he delivered to a friend. He was delivering a pizza and when he showed up, he delivered the pizza upside down mm. and it basically went from a pizza to calzone and he was so embarrassed that he just ate the food himself. Like he <laughs> was just like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just going to hang out here and just eat the pizza. Like he's, but, but you know, yeah. the, the through line here is that this is a guy that had enough money to be shitty at the job until he was good and could afford the time because it was his own wallet that he was putting into the business. Well, you know, upside down pizza is just how they do it in Connecticut. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, like the, the story there is like, oh, I was kind of embarrassed in front of my friend and then I ate a perfectly edible pizza as opposed to like, yeah, someone was having a bad day. So they gave me one star and now I'm sleeping on the street. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The thing you got to understand about his shoe is he's on the Michael Phelps diet at this point. <laughs> he, eats, he eats 14,000 calories a day. Right. And he, but he doesn't exercise either. No. Well, he works for, well, delivery. other than doing delivery. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it is, I will give him credit. It's definitely harder to operate that bicycle when you're in a kangaroo suit. <laughs> um, at one point, he, in this interview, he tries to claim that hanging uh, door hanger handbills, so like, uh, you know, like a do not disturb sign in a hotel, but like just that for Deliveroo where he would hang it on a door with like the numbers of the restaurants nearby if you want, if they wanted their food delivered. Mm. And he, he, he says like, you know, we were doing the kangaroo thing and then we figured out if we did these door handbills, that could be a good thing because people would, didn't know what companies, what restaurants would deliver to them. And it's like, I, you've seen that everywhere. This is not a new concept. And the idea that Will Shoes like, one original idea that we had that really, really innovated our marketing <laughs> scheme was we put numbers of restaurants that people could order to in the areas they were in on their door. Mm. Um, he got in trouble with the police, though, because they thought that he was putting door handbills on doors. And then if they didn't take them, he was going to rob the house. <laughs> okay. That was his innovation. That was the innovation. Yeah, yeah. He figured out how to rob houses easier. That famously not uh, racist British metropolitan <laughs> police. <laughs> I didn't research what, what he thinks about um, on the Taiwan question. Yeah, I don't think anyone's really asked him. I don't, uh, I don't yeah. see that going around yeah. that much. I don't know if we've gone into it on the pod, but I'm sure we will at some point. But um, uh, interesting point is that essentially the Taiwan lobby in the United States used to be like the Israel lobby is today. Hmm. Um, we might have talked about it on the nuclear war episode because, you know, uh, of the many times there was almost a nuclear war, one of them was when 
the Chinese, the People's Republic of China was shelling some islands controlled by Taiwan. And, mm-hmm. you know, it really did seem like the United States might go to nuclear war to protect Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And that was like partly because obviously Taiwan is like at the time and still to an extent today, but to a lesser extent, served a similar client state role that Israel currently serves for the United States. So uh, Chiang Kai-shek and uh, many others were always lobbying the United States to directly invade China right. so they could take it back over. Um, but yes, I would be I would, curious to hear his thoughts on the Taiwan question. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of the thing with like the, what are they called? Like the tiger economies yeah. of countries. It's like all these countries that had the so-called like post-war miracle were countries basically controlled by the United States that were uh, immediately adjacent to major communist powers. So, of course, the United States was just pumping in like whatever they could into those countries to prop them up as best they could. Well, I think realistically, I mean, I don't think he I didn't see any public interviews when I was researching where he talked about Taiwan. But I think realistically, he's probably in the the Taiwan independence movement Mm. to some varying degree. The standard standard American uh, view. He might not care too. I mean, or he just doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, he's think, probably smart enough to shut the fuck up because yeah, you, know, you immediately I, I, lose access to this giant market if you say the word Taiwan. That's true. I, I mean, the man works tirelessly. He, Although it's funny to imagine uh, his parents have a huge KMT fra- flag, <laughs> <laughs> like when he's growing up, right. and like they make him like recite Ching Kai Chek. <laughs> well, actually, sayings. I'm reading the Peter Dale Scott book, um, Drugs, Oil, and War, very much recommend, but uh, he makes the point that, and you know, he's not the only one, but uh, he kind of puts this together, uh, the the heroin trade in Southeast Asia was controlled by K- KMT mafias, mm-hmm. the, the Golden Triangle, uh, you know, and that continued on throughout the Vietnam War and all that, and they were, if not, you know, I think they were, the CIA was directly running drugs with them but at minimum the CIA was just allowing them to run drugs uh, so that their KMT allies could be an anti-communist proxy force that supported themselves through the drug trade so what I'm saying is Will Shu's dad was a heroin trafficker it could be it could be so moving along from his bio we're going to talk about Deliveroo the company itself their scandals and uh, then we'll at the end of the episode talk about the future of delivery itself uh mm-hmm. From now, I'll be quoting from a Business Insider piece that looks at the timeline and history of Deliveroo from 2018. Um, so Deliveroo sets up, they start giving their employees better looking uniforms. They got reflected gear on it. And, you know, one of the things that Deliveroo does is you can track when <laughs> you're losing money from them being run over by <laughs> insane London drivers. I mean, yeah, basically, I think that like was a part of the idea. But yeah, I, they don't lose money if they're employees, but they ain't losing shit. Oh, we're supposed to drive on the left side of the road? <laughs> it's like, uh, well, they walk into the business meeting for the month and they're like, the the deaths from people getting hit by double-decker red buses <laughs> just increase. I'm sorry. Um, so in 2004... Oh, oh, lorry means truck. That's what you're telling me that they're getting hit. I thought... <laughs> I thought Hugh Laurie was smacking yes. our delivery <laughs> right, drivers. Right. I told them to stay away from Hugh Laurie. Yeah. <laughs> um, in uh, 2014, uh, with, with, with they've only been working with like three restaurants, but at this point they raise uh, their first 2.75 million funding round from Index and Hoxton Ventures. Uh, the money's going to just all ex- Chinese opium money. <laughs> 
I mean, as Yogi well knows, any like great British fortune, uh, you know, or like venture oh, yeah. capital that invests in a new startup, it was all like either selling opium to the Chinese or like literally ripping every factory out of India yeah. and bringing it back to London. Yeah, well, for what uh, the United States benefits from the continent of Africa, the countries of India and China were uh, physically raped for their resources for yeah. the UK monarchs, uh, monarchy to exist. Yeah. Uh, was, Fuck them Brits. There's a, a Michael Parenti lecture and he made the point that, you know, at the turn of the 1800s, uh, India was by manufacturing a wealthier country mm -hmm. than the United Kingdom. You know, they had like more manufacturing uh, base and they were, you know, systematically destroyed and looted. Uh, but, you know, had that not happened, we could be doing a Deliveroo India episode. <laughs> yes. Yes, precisely. A Deliveroo New Delhi. Or, or we could be recording this in India because our families moved there and, and got tech jobs and Yogi's slumming it in Mumbai while we've got these massive apartments. That'd be great if it was like all the same except like Andy's dad founded Microsoft in India <laughs> or did Excel or whatever. So in 2015, after about two years in operation, Deliveroo is a unicorn, which is worth more than $600 million. It would take uh, more than a year from there where the startup would reach their $1 billion in valuation, though. Um, but at this point, Deliveroo has hundreds of cyclists riding around and taking people's foods, except these riders are not directly employed by the company. Hmm. The startup is drawn into the emerging debate about worker pay and conditions in the gig economy they're all their own ceos it's like yeah they make less than minimum wage but they own a small business yeah. you want flexibility do you want to be your own boss mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you want two pounds an hour oh, God. <laughs> and uh to quote a story from will shu when he first started his first four riders were i believe all pakistani and they were like in a coffee shop talking about like I don't know who gives a fuck. And the owner came out and was. Yogi just said that because he's Indian. <laughs> sure. But the owner came out and was just like, you guys got to get the fuck out of here. Like, you have to leave. And Will, she was like, why? He's like, you just have, you have to leave. Four, four uh, brown people and one Chinese person in a UK coffee shop. Get the fuck out of my shop. Yeah. And Will, she reaction to this is kind of like he's mad. And he's like, but the writers are like, this happens to us constantly, which is an indicator of where Will, she was at in the, um, hierarchy of um of uh, class if you will because he's he's new to the idea that an owner would look at him and say you're not good enough to be here he seemed pretty shocked about this mm -hmm. and i don't know if that comes from living a somewhat sheltered life in connecticut or um realizing that your company rests upon this exploitation you're, exper yeah. you're experiencing it directly he was like i grew up rich that counts as being white i mean it, it's a combination of things i think that him being mad about it is like him being like, oh, this, this, <laughs> this is a problem. But I mean, like, I, it's like, yeah, bro, that's, that's, uh, you're in UK. What, what do you fucking expect? Well, I think it's a mixture of like naivete plus not wanting, not liking the fact that your wealth is predicated on this behavior. Yeah. And I mean, he, he talks about in like all the interviews that like restaurant owners are terribly rude to the delivery drivers. And it's like, yeah, that's, that is how that shit works. Uh, he was like, yeah, the other night I was I was doing some deliveries and I was like, hey, it's taking a long time for me to get the food. And they're kind of like, yeah, we don't. Uh, fuck you. We're, you'll get it when you get it. 
And when I finally got the food, I was like, the food's kind of cold. And they're like, go, go deliver it, buddy. That's, that's, that's what you do. And that's the, you know, that is the standard of, of what a slave economy builds. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing. Like you see this all over the place where I think a lot of people know that these various delivery apps fuck over restaurants. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, the restaurants are mad at delivery apps. They don't get to talk to the board of directors or the CEOs. They just get to see the delivery drivers. Right. And that's like, you know, all throughout the economy, like you're mad at Comcast. You don't get to talk to the board of directors. You talk to the <laughs> customer service mm -hmm. rep in India. So that's like, in addition to all the other um, uh, trials and tribulations of the job, you just have to kind of absorb this abuse, this kind of like free floating hostility that all the exploitation created by these companies causes. Yeah. And I think that some of this that we're discussing, the exploitation and the general uh, class division that's going on here, uh, Will Shoes co-founder Greg Arlovsky, I think, realizes this because in February of 2016, according to Business Insider, he quietly leaves the company. Uh, to work on the Nigel Farage Brexit <laughs> campaign. <laughs> No, he actually He's goes on developer. to find found a, an app called Peanut. It's a meeting app for moms with uh, Michelle Kennedy, which I believe is his wife. Mm. But the advertisement for Peanut is it's like a, a pink Peanut, and it says Peanut, and underneath it says "Mommies, come a meet." <laughs> and it's like for moms to meet one another. But this screams a hundred percent. I've created an app that is destroying a class of people. I need to help rich moms meet one another. Hmm. Well, Business Insider like insinuates that he left because of that, and like by saying like, "Well, it's weird for one of the founders to back out years and years, like right in the middle mm. between when they first get funding and an IPO." Right. It's even weirder for the the one of the founders to not be the one connected to Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um. In September 2016, they they leave their cute kangaroo logo and they get this geometric abstract design, which looks like two peace fingers almost. Uh, I don't know. Deliver. It's, oh yeah, it's a Yogi's, very Yogi's showing it at us, that's to, like, to us right now. That's a very Silicon Valley yeah, yeah. design, yeah. like it's still pa pastel. It looks thing. like a boss you kill in Rayman, the video game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, it's still supposed to be a kangaroo, but mm -hmm. it's it's like a Picasso kangaroo. It's like that progressive photo of like uh, somebody drawing a painting as their schizophrenia gets worse and worse. <laughs> so it starts at right. a kangaroo, right. and then it's like two fingers by the end of it. Well, you won't be shocked that at the same time, Mike Hudak, uh, former director of product management at Hudak? Facebook, Hudak. joins Deliveroo as its new ch chief technology officer. Are you doing a Saints thing or just the name Hudak you find funny? Uh, I just find the name funny. Got so it. I thought I would say Hudak like I'm saying who that so that you would be like Mike Hudak and then it would become a who's on first type situation. See, I thought you were Did doing the, the New Orleans Saints thing, which, which they go, Hudak, Hudak, Hudak there. It's, it's a very Saints. Oh. And you don't even thing. know the amount of faith Yogi had into, in you to assume you were making a sports reference I really there. Was. I really was, yeah. <laughs> If it's not the Mariners, I don't. And even yeah. the Mariners, unless they're winning, I don't know anything about them. Hmm. I wonder why they're losing then, Andy. Uh, we're five games back from the wild card, so let's not. It's because Lou Pinello won't come back to the Northwest. That's why. There's no good blow there. So then in November 2016, uh, 
A small union called IWGB targeted at gig economy workers demands new employment status in recognition from Deliveroo. Uh, in 2017, Deliveroo hires Thea Rogers, a former political advisor to ex-British Chancellor George Osborne, mm. as the business model grows. Basically, anytime they deal with, with problems, they're like, let's hire a person to solve this problem. And that person just goes, uh, disappear. And it kind of does. They would actually have to start committing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of capital just set it aside basically for the predictable legal challenges right based on like violation of labor laws of like the dozen or so countries they're operating in right and we should uh just kind of underline this for a second because i think a lot of our u.s listeners are aware of just like how uber and seamless and all these fucking apps work where and you know deliveroo in the uk is a very similar story Mm -hmm. uh where essentially these like apps are trying to they make their money by destroying existing labor laws in the u.s case those labor laws date back to the new deal uh you know 40 hour work week uh minimum wage Mm -hmm. uh x amount of benefits if you're an employee that's right and they get around all that by just saying they're not employees they are independent contractors or they are self-employed you know and it's like in every single sense they are employees but you just create this legal fiction and then you hire the former chancellor of the United Kingdom, chancellor of the exchequer right. uh, to lobby for you. So you just hire enough people to lobby for you and then every throw enough money around and everybody closes their eyes and pretends, well, this let's let's go along with this legal fiction so that we can, you know, undo all of the existing labor laws. And this point that you bring up leads to in 2017, they unveil something called Deliveroo Editions, which are these pop-up kitchens, which, you know, basically like, let's say you live near a restaurant, but you're outside of their delivery zone. Mm-hmm. You could set up a ghost kitchen or mm. as uh, more racist people call it, dark kitchens uh, in another district to allow customers in that region to get delivery. Yeah. I like to say I like the 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 name a ghost kitchen. I just imagine like a, a chef like floating three feet above <laughs> of the, above the ground with like a bullet wound in their head. Like I'm making pizza, <laughs> or it's just got that like cummy slime from Ghostbusters. <laughs> uh, Slimer? No, That's no, the other the stuff. One. The 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 white stuff. Um, ectoplasm? ectoplasm. Yeah. Could you uh could you pick that plate up for me? My hand will actually go right through it. <laughs> this is a ghost kitchen. I just kitchen. picture a line cook is Slimer. <laughs> sure, that could be a thing. Well, just because s- they're Mexican, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Steve, how dare you? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, so for these ghost kitchens, though, Deliveroo does something unprecedented where they buy like. Uh, what are those called? What are those containers called, Stephen? Uh, the sh- shipping uh, container. Uh, contain- uh, shipping containers. They buy shipping yeah. containers and oh. setting up in parking lots and then put kitchens in them. Yeah. So there's literally <laughs> there's like a an array of like two by five of these shipping containers mm-hmm. in this documentary Yogi and I watched, mm. where each one is each one is a restaurant, but it's not like its own brand. It's like using the brand of a restaurant management company mm-hmm. to. And then people select food set by them, right? And then order it from these containerized restaurants, mm. and it's easier. It's like more efficient for the delivery riders to come. Well, it's probably closer. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I just say I was laughing because you know you you say in my head I'm like, well, there's nothing sinister about that. Uh, Epstein connected billionaire and shipping containers. <laughs> <laughs> what could he be moving? 
But the the point I want to make here or, or articulate is that this thing Sean mentioning about the the workers' rights being stripped away from them. I mean, when you have people that are working in a restaurant turned into people in a windowless box that is forcing them to make food from restaurants that they don't even own or operate, mm. you're you're leading towards a reality where in the future the concept of a restaurant is is very loose and the idea that a chef is working 20 hours because they don't have fucking protections of I own the place is something that's a reality. And it's worth mentioning that there's no there's no seating capacity or anything. Right. No one right. actually goes there. It's just the delivery riders who go there to pick up the food and from this like this like beehive of little and, small restaurants. And like you can't check the rating on like how cleanly the 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 restaurant is on the app like it, it it robs you of the reality of knowing where your food is fucking coming from which leads us to to what we will close on uh in this episode the idea of the invisible mother that is funded by silicon valley that's willing to fucking do everything for you so that you don't have to do anything and you can live like the people in wally mm, but you haven't had real burrata until you've had shipping container burrata <laughs> um so in 2017, they they move into like a giant London headquarters, and around this time is when our old friend Masayoshi-san and the Japanese giant SoftBank is interested in investing in Deliveroo. Uh, but three days before the deal would materialize, Masayoshi-san decides to go with Uber Eats instead. So mm. he fucking cock teases him right uh, there. It was a good good call. <laughs> yeah, another atrocity by the Japanese against the Chinese. <laughs> Basically. So in 2017, their valuation is pegged at $2 billion and it raises $385 million from investors, including U.S. fund giants Fidelity and T. Rowe Price. This cements delivery status as one of the most valuable startups in the U.K. And this goes back to he knows of these people or he knows who to go to during his time at SEC, Morgan Stanley, and the hedge fund. And he also, so he he did the IPO from the London Stock Exchange. Right which for like a tech startup like this is unusual. Mm. Uh, part of that is because it's just cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Um, in 2017 in October, they, they, the people that are neighbors from those shipping containers are complaining about the noise. And the Guardian would report that the startups didn't ask council permission to create its own pop-up kitchens. So it's not even like they were like, we're going to set this thing up properly. It's just like, yeah, we put a whole bunch of kitchens and a couple of windowless boxes in a parking lot. And we don't see anything that's wrong with that. I don't see what's, what the problem is. But that's the, the best pizzas in New Haven. But that's the Silicon Valley ethos, Yogi, is right. you break things. You just you set up your shipping yep. containers full of slaves and then you just like innovate and you disrupt the food industry and the oh, labor yeah. laws. I'm sure the the restaurant management company that he went to with this or someone went to with this idea was probably like they probably have some story where they pitched a shoe. Mm -hmm. It's like mm -hmm. I went into individual restaurants where people sat down and enjoyed themselves and there were labor laws. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in 2017, they would win their legal battle against the union IWGB. A tribunal rules that the startup doesn't need to regard its drivers as workers. Shu oh. tells Insider, there's lots of misunderstanding about workers' rights among politicians and journalists. <laughs> See, these journalists think slave labor is a bad thing, but yeah. the politicians and I, who we know is actually good. Do you think like one of his like British founders like got their money from just their ancestors like stealing treasure out of the Winter Palace? <laughs> 
That'd be kind of like full circle. If like, you know, a Chinese man, he gets his startup capital from like artifacts that his ancestors lost when the Winter <laughs> Palace was looted or some shit. It could be. Um, in June of 2019, Will Shu will make an appearance after the Amazon investment. Chinese American man. Okay. Let me be clear. Taiwanese American. Taiwanese American. Uh, he would describe the firm as a strategic investor. He goes on in that diary of CEO saying that the, it took 16 to 18 months for the Amazon investment to go through because of the UK regulations where they basically were like, well, we don't really give a fuck. Fucking regulations. <laughs> I believe, many of them. Uh, Amazon owns about 16% while it was private. That's and right. today it's still about 11%. They're, they're the biggest single shareholder of mm -hmm. delivery. Interesting. Uh, they decided to pull out of Germany in 2019. Uh, from Deliveroo, they say that German consumers don't order takeaway as much as they did in the UK. But I believe it's from regulations from the German uh, government saying, hey, don't treat your workers like shit. One other factor in them leaving Germany, they said, I believe in their official statement for why they left Germany, they said, quote, the inability to provide sufficient quality of service, unquote. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it might also be related to a May 2017 Berlin workers strike. Yeah. You'll, you'll kind of notice uh, the countries that they leave uh, tend to be preceded by uh, labor strikes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's and I like that, you know, like in this piece that I'm reading, it's a bit of fluff. They get to claim like. Germans don't like ordering food as much as everyone else does. When it's like, no, they just regarded their employees as humans, unlike you did. Yeah, we like that their food is delivered by slaves, but we don't like to say they're not Jews. <laughs> and uh, this would be something that would follow suit in uh, Italy and Spain. Stephen? Yeah, Spain is a bit more explicit in that they, they said they were leaving because of a proposed labor law that mm -hmm. ended up passing saying you have to it's it's the same story as like with Uber Eats here. Right. Um you're the workers are essentially employees in, in the eyes of Spanish courts. Yeah. So Sounds like communism. To, yeah. You have to pay them <laughs> hourly wages for the full time that they're on the clock mm -hmm. instead of just when they actually have an order. Right. Right. Because like they're <laughs> It's so, it's so funny to me. It's like, yeah, you know these laws that uh, FDR passed in 1933? <laughs> That's communism if you do it in 2021. <laughs> when you watch documentaries of that are like like Vice-style documentaries showing what um, the delivery workers are going through, mm -hmm. they, they'll they say like, I'm on, the, I'm on the job for 12 hours a day and I made like 38 pounds or some shit. Right. And on a good day, mind you. Yeah. Yeah, on like a decent day business-wise. Right. And you think like, wow, so many orders and that's all they get? Well, I mean, part of it is just waiting around yep, yep. for the restaurants in these like fucking shipping containers right, right. shit. And uh, you don't get paid for that. No. You yeah. only get paid when you're actually delivering. And yep. that's why Will Shu can claim they only work, you know, five to seven hours and does the thing that you know, typical bootstrap Americans will do where it's like, why should a fast food worker be paid a fucking living wage? It's just a part-time job to them. And it's like with Deliveroo's case, the time in between orders is not time that's on Deliveroo's dime. So right. they're just, they're, I mean, they're waiting to work. And that's the fucking middle finger because they always talk about, you know, the, the, the flexibility and the freedom and, mm -hmm. you know, all this bullshit. And it's like, you're waiting around for money. You're still at work. You're just not being paid. 
Yeah. Right. And it's, it's, it contrasts that with his story about working like 11 hour days at Morgan Stanley when, mm-hmm. you know, clearly a bunch of that was probably doing cocaine and, right. and, you know, <laughs> posting on Bloomberg terminal message boards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Waiting for 25 whoppers. Yeah. Let's just pack like t- 200 of these ninja loans in. And <laughs> that's a AAA security. So time to do blow. <laughs> In September of 2020, the the IPO rumors will occur, and as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the IPO flops. And so, in April 2020, uh, Deliveroo would have to fire 300 people in layoffs during the pandemic, and then Deliveroo decides to go into delivering groceries because you know they fucking it's the pandemic, so the restaurants are shutting down, and if the restaurants shutting down, then the riders don't have work, and, and so the, the, what can we deliver? Well, people still need to fucking shit and brush their teeth, so let's start delivering those groceries. In the interview I mentioned, the diary of CEO, he talks about that the restaurants were shutting down in all of the European markets, but that the Asian markets, which they have uh, locations in Dubai and a few other markets, they were not affected by COVID. Mm. Which goes to show you that like all of these labor wins that we're talking about in Italy, Spain, and Germany are unfortunately not a full-time solution for every delivery rider. Because those that are in the fucking Asian countries, they weren't even able to get off for fucking COVID. Like all the restaurants went to work, the riders went to work. They continued living as if they still had to operate in regular mm. circumstances. And that's... Oh, well, boy. in some of in some deliveries investor marketing documents, they're like, you know, once once the actual lockdowns for the restaurants lift, this will actually be an amazing opportunity mm-hmm. because people are still basically at home, and they'll uh, once the restaurants are operational, people will will get more deliveries as a as a percentage of like all the food they consume. Mm-hmm. In March of 2021, delivery would go public, but the stock would then collapse minutes after the market opens. Oh. Uh Deliveroo priced its IPO at the lower end of its range at 390 pence a share, giving it a 7.6 billion pound valuation and raising 1.5 pound billion. And the company tanked as much as 30% in the first minutes of trading. Got to buy GameStop to get those kinds of numbers. <laughs> yeah. And this is down from a 10 like a 10.1 billion dollar Valuation. I like this burn that Business Insider puts in. One analyst, AJ Bells, Russ Moulds, branded the listing flopperoo, which is all right. All right, yeah. Business Insider. Uh, that's fine. That was pretty shitty for the retail investor. I mean, yes. with any IPO, uh, the insiders will get out before the ultimate bottom of the of the like the first day of the IPO. Right. So, I mean, if you think you if you're if you're becoming happy because you think oh rich people lost money, well they might not have. Right. No, right. In fact, many of them did not. No, I think if we've learned one thing from this podcast, it's that the purpose of an IPO is to dump the stock on retail investors. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, having like IPO flops are somewhat common, but not to this magnitude, though. Right. So many consider it to be a failure, even for the insiders in this case. I, I just wanted to mention there was a quote uh, that uh, one a uh, banker described it as quote the worst IPO in London's history unquote and that might be true nice. financially but i would just like to say morally that's probably the east india company <laughs> <laughs> the south sea boat the yeah the south sea boat newton or, buys yeah, yeah, the yeah. dip on <laughs> <laughs> newton should have fold <laughs> newton had he paper buys, hands he he makes a tiktok about the super cycle <laughs> 
This shit's gonna pick up in six months. Here's why we're about to gamma squeeze. (laughs) (laughs) And so this is uh, Will Shoes Deliveroo. I mean, it's a common Mm. story that's being taken apart by different companies all around the world right now. But at the end of the day, you have a man who wants his fat ass fed whenever he wants. And this leads to a global slave uh, uh, crew to deliver food whenever uh, Will Shoe pleases. And people that ride for Deliveroo, you know, obviously there are dangerous conditions in delivering anything, whether it be food or whatever. But in 2000, I believe 17 from one of the documentaries Steve and I watched, one of the riders was a victim of an acid attack because, you know, that's a thing in the UK. They throw acid in people's faces. Bruv, we love throwing acid. And like, it's not like, oh, a, a rider got knocked by a car and got a couple of scrapes. It's like, motherfuckers got acid in their face. And then Deliveroo's like, oh, that's nice. Did, did they get their order, though? They're like, what, what is the deal with uh, the pizza? Because if it didn't get there on time, we have to cut your pay. And this is, you know, when you have Silicon Valley convenience, you're paying for slavery. It's as simple as that. There is no middle ground of like, well, actually, it's, it's not that bad. It, it, no, it is that bad. And uh, this is when they were trying to break into the chav market. <laughs> right, right. And I certainly am one to poo-poo this, but at the same time, I understand the price of convenience. I've had food delivered to me uh, <laughs> to a disgusting level as I open this episode with. But uh, if you can rationalize slavery for this, you can rationalize slavery for just about anything. And... Um, it's very, very easy to look at Will Shoe and the delivery company and be like, it's not that bad. It's just a, a convenience company. It's like, no, 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 it is. It leads to human beings being more dependent on uh, corporate vultures to take care of all of their personal needs instead of, you know, feeding and cooking for yourself. Mm. Well, I think we're going to do, obviously in the future, we will do uh, Uber and, and Seamless episodes and, and and several of those other, you know, app billionaires. And I think this is actually probably the most important issue in American labor law right now. Mm-hmm. Again, this is like they're literally destroying the remnants of the New Deal right. in front of everybody's faces. And guys like Will Shu just figured out, oh, we can export that model to Europe. If we just, you know, spend enough money and we hire enough lobbyists and enough chancellors of the exchequers, we can do what they're doing in the United States and Europe and undo labor laws there. Yeah, but Biden said during a press conference that companies should pay their employees better, uh, which was probably, you know, the most revolutionary thing (laughs) since uh, the October revolution. Grows the economy. But they're not employees, Andy. (laughs) They own their own business. They're self-employed. To close out this episode, I do want to mention that the idea that Will Shoes in the London, he's like, but I can I can do it in New York. Why can't I do it out here? <laughs> it's the stupidest reasoning for wanting anything in life. It would be the equivalent of me being like, what? I can't I can't jaywalk in front of Big Ben? Why well, I can jaywalk in New York. I don't see what the problem is out here. It is, it is one of the laziest ideas for why something should be more convenient somewhere else. Hmm. What 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 you're gonna tell it's gonna take me three days to eat a boy's ass in the UK? Jeffrey Epstein has this done in two twenty four hours in New York. Hmm. Yeah, if you jaywalk in front of Big Ben, uh, one of those guys with the fuzzy hats shoots you, and that's the only way to make mm-hmm. them laugh is <laughs> when they see you bleeding out in the street in front of Big Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do the the Fortnite floss dance over your corpse. <laughs> 
There's a couple of miscellaneous facts I just have here just from uh, just from the wikis, but it uh, should be noted. As of 2020, Deliveroo has not yet made a profit. It loses right. money on every single delivery it makes. That's right. It is a uni- It remains a unicorn. Yes. Um, but that's like, you know, again, same store in the United States, Uber and such. They're just burning VC money until oh, yeah. they can destroy the labor market and destroy labor law mm-hmm. enough so that they become, you know, established and can lock and profit. Well, they say like the invest, the way they pitch to investors is like you're subsidizing it now Mm -hmm. so that we can just basically just wear down the spirit of the worker until we can finally defeat them in court and then we can raise the prices. Right. Uh, And we should just mention like uh, we did briefly mention, but the safety of the drivers and kind of the need to like race the clock and all these fucking app Mm -hmm. things, you know, results in a lot of accidents. And he was actually forced out of Taiwan, it seems, over. Uh, Deliveroo exited Taiwan in April 2020, and it does seem that it was because of safety regulations. The Taiwanese government said they had not applied for a business license to establish an automobile transportation enterprise. Uh, So they they had to leave Taiwan over like safety stuff. And in 2017 and 18, some uh, Dutch journalists uh, named Tim Hoffman, he investigated Deliveroo undercover, said that it forced the the company in the Netherlands, forced its delivery staff to declare themselves self-employed rather than being employees of the company, Mm -hmm. which would give them the right to benefits such as sick pay. Uh, So, you know, it's like, again, this is, it's a complete legal fraud and fiction, but... They lobby so they get away with it. Yeah. And it won't stop unless people say, hey, cut that shit out. And I, I you know, we rarely have a call to action on the, on this show. Um, and I think that's a kind of a good thing. But I, I don't know if this problem is solved with any sort of like collective action. I mean, I hope it does. But it's one of those things where these people seem to be locked into the positions that they are in. Well, it's definitely not. It's definitely not solved by just waiting for Shu to be shocked by the conditions he sees right. mm-hmm. in his own company. And yes. then like he just make, does some mealy mav thing about like, well, there should be like uh like his solution that he sometimes talks about is there should be some sort of third employment class. <laughs> right, right. Where you okay, you are kind of an hourly employee, but you still don't get benefits. Yeah, his moral compass isn't fixed anytime soon. I think I think it can be solved with collective action. I just think that that collective action has to involve Kalishnikovs. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Um, yeah, so you know, in addition to the other countries we've named, uh, you know, Netherlands, Spain, Germany, Taiwan, uh, they had some legal issues in Australia, and like, every country where they have legal issues, it's the same story, yep. which is like safety, and they're clearly lying about these people not being employees. They are misclassifying them to avoid uh, minimum wage and benefit laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did want to mention, because we did tease it, the shitting in bags thing. That's right. Uh, we should mention there have been numerous complaints about Deliveroo's couriers, poor hygiene practices, such as some riders <laughs> resorting to defecating in Tesco bags while waiting for orders. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like when you're on the clock in a shipping container, what else are you going to uh, do? No no public restrooms. Yeah. That's a problem here, too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the shipping containers have bad. Oh, no, there was like a porta potty situation. I didn't see that, yeah. Mm. In the documentary, yeah. yeah. But that's for the employees. Why can't of they the use the corner of the shipping container? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. not for the writers, I don't right. think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, probably not. They're not employees. Mm. It's the future of delivery is rooted in. <laughs> Um, a person's blood, sweat, and tears for you to get 
a new Tamagotchi. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't fucking matter what it is. But like, you know, there's a, this issue with the the delivery riders pooping in bags and stuff. We were seeing in the United States with Amazon's deliveries and them peeing in bottles. And yeah. if not, uh, curiously, they don't poop into a bag though. Well, they've they've got boxes. They've got cardboard boxes. Am I just supposed to assume that the poop bags also exist? I think so. At Amazon. Yeah. Oh yeah. They've they definitely heard about the bag. Pee bottles. It's because we haven't brought Tesco to the United States yet. <laughs> I'm, so they don't have the proper bags to to I, poop in. I'm like 90% sure I read about Amazon drivers pooping yeah. in bags. I mean, I just assumed. I th- I mean, this is a wild stretch, but I think they're running around so much that like their body just eats the calories of the poop <laughs> that they would be. I'm not saying that they never poop, but I think that like, because they walk like, no, they really do. They walk like 30 miles a day, basically. Yeah, 10 to 15, yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know. I, there's a crisis. There's a total lack of public restrooms. I feel yeah. like Amazon will start like saying that there should be more public restrooms. Oh yeah. No, the 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 um uh, uh stuff squirting out your PPM butthole problems at Amazon, they've shifted from the warehouses to the drivers. That's right. And so there that was like a whole big thing and that's that's where people are pooping in bags now is mm. is behind the wheel. Last thing I just want to mention from Wikipedia. June 2021, Deliveroo announced a partnership with Neighborhood Watch United Kingdom, Mm -hmm. giving couriers the option to train and help spot the signs of everything from sexual harassment Mm -hmm. to domestic abuse and drug dealing. So I really do hope none of them encounter the CEO because that would be my prime suspect. Yeah. Hi, I saw a guy eating 25 burgers and fucking a child. He's my he's the he's the CEO of my company. When can you be here? Well, you're not an employee, mm. so I don't know if the police will show up anytime soon. It's pretty fucked up that not only they're paying them less than minimum wage, but they're training them to become snitches. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining us on our episode on Will Shu and the company Deliveroo. Please let us know any details we miss. We'll add it to our citations at grubstakersnet.com. Mm. Uh, sorry. We'll add it to our citations at grubstakers.net. Uh, we want to, before we close out this episode. We should get that other domain, though. <laughs> Grovestakers.net.com. <laughs> .net.com.org. .co.uk. Um, before we, we, we wrap things up here, we want to give a shout out to our fifth mic and producer of the program, Chris Nil. Uh, they are producing our show and they will be editing and guiding our social media content. They've been working with us for quite some time now. And uh, give a shout out to Chris. They're yeah. great. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. And we're very happy to have Chris on board because uh, you, the listener, you might have noticed this thing we were doing where we did not release episodes for several weeks at a time. <laughs> that was because we used to have to edit them and it's very annoying. But now we just we do the research we record and Chris will help. We'll do the editing. Yeah, when so. Sean says we, I don't know yes. if he can claim he was one <laughs> to do a lot of the editing. But he Yes, we I, used to do editing. I did up to 15% of the editing. <laughs> that's high. Yeah, that's, I think, a little high, guy. And, and, Sean, and Sean did editing, and he realized the appalling conditions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were, Sean they were did, misclassifying me. Sean did about 5% of the editing, and yes. every single time he would complain about how the editing process mm-hmm. uh, needs improvement yes. uh, that he like, never noticed before. Live. I was shitting in a Tesco bag, <laughs> living in a shipping container. Um, it's terrible. And Sean McCarthy and myself will be doing stand-up in Seattle and Portland. We'll be mm-hmm. uh, in Portland on September 16th at the Siren Theater and at the Rendezvous September 17th and 18th. Uh, so come out and check out those shows as well as some other dates we'll be posting until now and then. They will yeah. be, I, I predict, Yes. Uh, both a hoot and a holler. That's yeah. true. 
Uh, yeah, tickets not on sale yet, but we'll post them on the Grubstakers Twitter if you live in Seattle or Portland. And if you happen to live on the East Coast and you are, you know, maybe driving distance from New York City and you would like to see us live or you maybe know a venue <laughs> or whatever, just hit us up. We might uh, in the not too distant future or organize some sort of East Coast tour. Yeah, as long as society doesn't collapse once again, we should be performing right. live in the near future. Exactly. We have dates in September in Seattle and Portland, but we do not know if they will be shut down That's by right. that time. Right. So tentatively, you can see Yogi and I there. And with that, this has been Grubstakers. My name's Yogi Pollywell. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Steve Jeffries. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. Thanks for listening and check out our Patreon. And thank you, Chris. Yep. Bye. Do you guys like this batch of random beers? Or was the other batch of random beers better? You know, I, I always enjoy free beer. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would never look a gift horse in the mouth. They're not free, technically. You, well, yes. You know, yeah, they, we are paying, paying for, for them. Yeah, yeah. It is sort of funny because like, I think of the, the Grubstakers account as like my expense account, but it's like, no, I actually own the company <laughs> <laughs> coming out of my bottom line. Right, right.